Hello and welcome to ZeroNet50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Stronberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, so when you and I spoke last, we had just learned about Joe Biden's win in the presidential election. Things were pretty exciting and you have since had some time to think about the bigger picture and what we uh, might expect now. Um, and you've been following and covering the situation between California and the Trump administration over fuel efficiency standards. You know, that's something that certainly we've been uh, talked about here for a while. <clears throat> and we had an interesting turnabout in the that long story. Uh, we saw GM stand up and very loudly turn away from the support it gave President Trump in a legal battle over California's right to set standards uh, that are different from federal standards for efficiencies. And that GM would make that kind of a stand the way it did, some are saying, is a very big deal. So I thought it would be a good idea to chat about it today. But I thought it was important also, um, before we you know get into some more analysis, is just take a quick look at, you know, why, in fact, it would be seen as such a big deal. And um, let's look at where, you know, how we got here, what happened and why. And I can put that quickly into context. So um, first of all, let's just take a look at what GM uh, did. And essentially, their CEO, um, who's been their CEO since 2014, Mary Barra, sent a letter on November 23rd to some of the biggest hitters in environmental advocacy. So we're thinking Sierra Club and Environmental Defense Fund. And that letter said that GM is, quote, immediately withdrawing from the preemptive litigation and inviting other automakers to join them. And she said that GM believes President-elect Biden can carve out a clear path for a national standard that would elevate the EV sector, electric vehicles. <clears throat> and as we've discussed here before, the fight for EVs and fuel efficiency standards matters um, because moving the needle on transportation sector emissions is one of the critical pathways to lowering overall emissions in the US. So, you know, at, at any progress there is really important. And, you know, that she would mention this preemptive litigation to, um, in this letter. She doesn't specifically talk any more about it, which is fascinating. She just says the preemptive litigation. Uh, and essentially, that's the legal battle that came about in response to the Trump administration's move to take away California's legal right under the Clean Air Act to set its own fuel efficiency standards. And California sued the administration, saying it didn't have the right to take that ability away from the state. Uh, and states and industries took sides in that battle, and GM stood up behind Trump. So that's where that essentially came to, to play, is that she was saying GM's no longer going to stand up behind Trump. And, you know, just a really quick hit at, you know, why is it that California has that right in the first place? Well, it goes way back prior to the enactment of the Clean Air Act in the 70s. Los Angeles had set its own vehicle emission standards because it was experiencing terrible smog and Congress then gave EPA the right to set vehicle pollution standards, but California was granted a waiver so uh, it could set its own standards as long as they didn't go below the federal, federal standards. But fast forward basically the entirety of my life and Trump suddenly decides 
he can step in and make a change in this long-standing relationship in a move that he believed would revive the American auto industry. You know, and of course, that was clearly on his platter of ways to entice Americans to vote for him, saying, you know, we, we need our auto industry back. But, you know, his approach was archaic, to say the least. Anyway, what it did in the end, as you, Joel, have said, here on this podcast and in your blog is that it created a rift in the auto industry because Trump wanted to go lower on the standards than even the industry was looking for and more specifically had been planning for. So now GM has a really ambitious electric electric vehicle plan and the election gave the company the boot in the pants it needed to stand up and acknowledge even its own business pathway cannot work with Trump's approach to fuel efficiency standards. So those standards are just one in a wide range of climate policies Biden is expected to address quickly and swiftly when he takes office. Um, but, you know, the whole, the, the, just like the approach from GM on how it has stood up this way and the timing of it, all of it just makes my brain hurt. So of course, I think it's valuable that other people understand some of the in you know intricacies of what's going on here, and who better to explain it than you? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't put any pressure on me or anything. Uh -huh. I, I no, no. <laughs> I'm still suffering from too much Thanksgiving turkey. Thank you. Uh, okay, good, good. Uh, you know, it, before uh, you should be a little bit slow. Everybody should be a little bit slow about patting GM on the back. Yes. It's, um, I mean, this is one of those things that you're right. I've written about this before. This is this is a really interesting kind of a situation because, first of all, this is a situation where the industry had actually petitioned Trump, um, you know, for some some uh, loosening of the of the standard as compared to the Obama years. But what they were really looking for was they wanted to be have more flexibility in how they met the standards. Okay, it wasn't so much the standard and um, it's a complicated formula that we don't need to go into at the moment. But the fact of the matter is, the the administration took a stance that was to the much to the right of the auto industry. And mm -hmm. um, but also as a practical matter, it would have been difficult for Trump to actually enforce the standard in an odd way. And and, and the reason I'm saying this is because. The United States would have stood pretty much alone from the, from the developed world as far as um, how lax its emission standard would be. Mm -hmm. um, so auto companies, I mean, they're global organizations, and the fewer models that they have to build, the better off they are. And so this was something that, I mean, the industry, if in some ways, if Trump would have just stepped back and let things take its own turn, I think what the industry would have been perfectly comfortable doing is meeting the Obama standard, which is about 54.5, I think, miles per gallon um, by 2026, and, and some, a standard they've been building to. I mean, this, is, this has been something that, you know, has been talked about since 2008, I think. Right. Um, and so, so what happened is that Trump stepped in and created a certain um, amount of instability, and, you know, markets don't like these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, as to the California, this was a, a case where Trump just hates California. I mean, there, there, there's really no other way to 
to explain this. They, they, <laughs> he doesn't like any of their politicians. He doesn't like anybody that works in the government. And he wanted to stick it to them. So what he did was he 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 decided that they were going to take the waiver away. At least they they, they had announced that. Right. Um, the fact is that the federal government does probably have the authority to not issue the waiver um, mm-hmm. in a very you know in, in a very technical sense. I mean the, the law says that that the waiver is it you know pretty much at the the decision of the federal government. It, it has actually only been lifted once um, since the, the original Clean Air Act and, and, and um, in the 70s, in the early 70s, actually. And that was at the end of the George W. Bush administration. And mm-hmm. um, he, un, he undid the, uh, uh, he, he took back the waiver, but it, that lasted about five weeks because then Biden, or then Obama came into office. And so right. it's not as if the, the industry was ever actually um, nervous about or nervous or didn't know what was going to happen. So, mm-hmm. so that happened. Um, and Obama used the standard to negotiate with the auto companies as part of the um, reinvestment work because of the recession, right? I mean, and so I mean, the auto companies were, it was the best possible time that you could actually approach the auto companies and say, I want you to build to a higher standard. Um, and if you don't, then maybe we won't get you won't get all that money you want in the investment uh, reinvestment uh, legislation that you know, was put through, um, and actually did help get out of the recession, and certainly gave a huge amount of money to the alternative clean energy fuel sector. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, up until then, I mean, there, the, all of this has been has been measured. I mean, there's there, there's been no mystery about it. I mean, the, the industry has been talking to the government, um, and they knew what the standards were. In California's case, is you, Trump could take, you know, it may have been that he could he could have taken that waiver back. It, it's kind of unclear, although I suspect with the conservative bent of the Supreme Court now, he might actually have won that case. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen now? I mean, the, jump ahead. The, 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 the Biden administration just is going to ask, tell the court that they, I mean, never mind. And right. Um, right. they'll go back so that, you know, this will kind of fall away. Um, and in, in the meantime, what happened was, that, oh, I was going to say that California is, does have the right to build to a stricter standard. It's the only state that can do that, but the other states can, in fact, build to the California standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is, it, as, as it's turned out, that uh, I think it's 14 states and the District of Columbia actually build to the California standard. So, mm-hmm. so first of all, you, you get a division clearly in the U.S. market. I mean, that, you know, 14 states in the District of Columbia say, you know, you can't sell cars that don't meet this standard. Well, you know, if, if you're GM, you're going to build a higher standard because you don't want to be able, you know, you don't want to have to go through retooling so that, you know, the other, uh, what, 36 states, you can sell cars of this standard mm-hmm. and then the 14 and the other, and then you've got the international standard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really, a, it was a big deal. I mean, and Transportation is not only now the greatest source of um, greenhouse gases, um, but it's also something that is also the toughest to deal with because you're, you're including airplanes and, and ships and, and what have you. And so that I mean this this was this was a, this was a good thing to do in those 14 jurisdictions. If my memory serves me correctly, um, actually had over 45 percent of the U.S. auto market because they were I mean. 
they tended to be blue states with cities in them. So there was, you had these big concentrations of, uh, of sales potential. Well, um, this thing kind of went on, and, it, and it's, I mean, there's this feud going on, especially between California and, um, and the Trump administration. I mean, California actually has sued the Trump administration over 100 times in the last four years. Um, and they've probably won 90% of their cases. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, I mean, this is going to, this is going to be an issue, but at some point it was going to, it was going to fall away. And again, what happened is, is that there's a practical side to it. And there's a the kind of technical side. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was that the Trump, the Trump administration started to get irritable about the fact that auto companies were in fact talking to California about building to their standard and trying to mediate, you know, between the sides and things. Again, that, I mean, the auto industry wants wants a certain amount of certainty. And if you have these fluctuating standards, they're not getting what they need. But the Trump administration, Trump, I think, particularly, got irritated about the auto companies. Um, so what he did was he ordered Barr and the Department of Justice to investigate whether they were they could be sued um, for unfair trade practices by talking to California rather uh, rather than talking to California and the federal government as opposed to just the federal government. But, I mean, this is this is something I think that even Attorney General Barr kind of um, uh, came up short on it. And as you know, he doesn't come up short on many things that, right. that, that Trump wants. But I mean, this is something where, I mean, Trump was going to see if he couldn't use these kind of, you know, Gestapo tactic, tactics to get the auto companies to come back into his fold. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was that um, four companies, Honda, Ford, Volkswagen, and BMW, said, we're building the California standard. I mean, this, and they, they actually made a, a deal, um, whether it's a formal deal or not, doesn't make any difference. They announced that they were going to do this. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the company said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to stick with Trump. And, and General Motors was among them. And these companies, I think, were, uh, to me, they were chicken, if you want to know the truth. I mean, this is, you know, who blinks first? And, and, and so General Motors and 10 other, I mean, uh, Toyota and, and um, Kia, all, all the smaller uh, auto companies were, gonna, mm-hmm. were on, on the Trump side. But again, they, I think what they were trying to do was to just avoid um, being persecuted. Um, by the Trump administration. Right, so enter right. Biden. Um, and well, you know, things are great now because General Motors, they don't have to do this. And, and I would have been more impressed, quite honestly, with General Motors if they'd have done this six months ago as compared to, you know, after, right. after the guy that, you know, was part of the team that negotiated the, the original mile standards in the first place got yeah. back into office. Um, but what is, what it really is, GM is doing this for a couple of reasons. Um, it, it's clear that the auto industry is moving towards electric vehicles. I am to be shocked by it, if you want to know the truth. I, I mean, um, given all the the lack of infrastructure and, you know, some of these cars can do 150 miles, some can do, you know, 200 miles. Um, the ones that do 300 miles are way out of the range of anybody, you know, a middle income, right. you know, family sort of thing. But yeah. But it's clear that this is what, this is what, the auto industry is moving to, and GM is probably rolling the dice more on electric vehicles than um, a lot of its competitors, Ford and what have you. Um, and so now we're getting into, so now, I mean, what's happening is 
companies are saying that, you know, look, if we want to go electric, we're doing, we're going electric as the rest of the world is doing. Um, and, you know, we're, we're there with you, um, Biden administration. And so what, the other thing that's being brought into the conversation are the labor unions. I mean, Biden in the last couple of weeks has not only talked to GM, but he's been talking to the auto workers. Um, and there, there appears to be um, a growing consensus partnership. Uh, I'm not sure what the word is yet between the auto industry um, and the Biden administration and the labor unions, because this is, you know, and this is this is creating markets, it's creating jobs, and and not only for the United States, or you know, uh, markets for in the United States, but for American cars being sold overseas as well. And that's the other thing is that you know, at some point. All the developed nations, all the all the nations should be building to a similar agreed to standard because, I mean, it's best for the industry. It's best for labor. It's um, uh, it, it, it's it's best for everybody. If you, if you have you know a, a reasonable set of standards that everybody is is building to. Now, I, I think that what's going to happen is that they'll I mean, the 54.5 MPG will, will probably come back in. Um, Again, the, the enforcement will probably be a little bit looser, but that, I mean, that shouldn't have ever been a real problem, right? Mm. You have to give companies flexibility okay. to build towards this. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that what's gonna, what is going to happen generally with the Biden administration is that he is going to be reaching out to industries, not just the auto industry, but power industry and everybody else. My feeling on this is as follows, that he is going to have trouble under any circumstance actually implementing the Biden climate plan um, once he's sworn into office. The, 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 even, if, even if the Democrats can get the Senate, um, uh, you know, can control the Senate because if they won the two runoff elections in Georgia, um, it's still going to be difficult. There, there are what are known as blue dog Democrats. Um, and it's, it's, in fact, there's something called the blue dog coalition. And blue dog Democrats are um, basically out of the South. I mean, they're, they're, they're Southern Democrats and more conservative um, in their approach. They're, they're, they're a recognized um, entity, in, in a sense, in the Democratic Party. The Republican counterpart to that is what, what Trump always uses, the, the, the word rhino, which means Republican in name only. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what happens is, I mean, you've got a number of blue dog Democrats who've already actually announced that they they're going to be on Biden's side on the environment, but they don't want to. They don't want him to get too crazy. In part because they represent states like West Virginia, which I mean, Joe Manchin um, is a Democratic senator from West Virginia, um, and he's not going to you know get too far from his coal interests. Mm -hmm. um, and so the coalition that 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 is that Biden can put together, I think, will ultimately be much less progressive than say. The progressives, so the, uh, the 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 Green New Deal, for example, which is right. still being talked about as as a you know as, as a construct. Um, but I think where Biden really can, I mean, Biden is a nice guy, and as, as I've suggested to you before, I think one of the reasons, maybe the the reason he won, is because the world was ready for a nice guy to finish first. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, you know, but but they didn't give him the tools that he needs. I don't think to actually implement all the policy stuff. Yeah. But here's a guy that has, he understands the relationship between government and industry. And I think that he can use the office to put together um, a, a cohesive 
government industry program. Because what happens is that, you know, in the four years, in the four years of the Trump administration, what we've seen is industry, I mean, at least four auto companies and, and actually more, that were going to build to a higher standard, no matter what the Trump administration said. But how much better could this all be if industry and government actually work together? Um, and I think the problem is that when industry gets too far out in front, that industry is still industry. I mean, and I'm not begrudging them that, but they have a different bottom line than the government would have. Um, mm -hmm. now, that can be merged. There's no question of it. Um, and it's certainly better to have it, the two partners working in consort than it is in conflict. Um, and so I think that, I think that Biden can put together a public private partnership on, you know, energy and environment, um, that could, that can withstand the loss, um, four years from now of the Democratic administration. And that's where we have to get to. I mean, the fact of the matter is that if any of this is going to get solved, then it has to be solved in a way that is stable. You can't, you know, it's, it's this wash, rinse, and then, you know, wash again cycle that just drives everybody nuts. And, yeah. um, and so I think that this is, I think this is where it's going to be. And, and not only, I mean, will it help just in, you know, in, in, in the sense of, you know, putting resources and common things and what have you. But the other thing is that you stop the regulatory fireworks. I mean, the, the, the danger is going to be that these other companies, and I don't think it'll be the case, but, but it's possible that these other auto companies will, will sue the Biden administration for having a more strident standard than they would like. And right. even if the auto industry doesn't do it, I don't know that fossil fuel states won't do it. I mean, oil and gas. And so you get this, I mean, if we don't find a way to kind of increase the, the, the collaboration of public and private, then all we're going to do is we're going to keep getting this cycle of um, changes in regulation that create lawsuits. Um, and then when a new administration comes in, the lawsuit is, is still filed, but then the plaintiff becomes the defendant, and the defendant becomes the plaintiff, um, and you know you've got another six to ten years in front of you before any of this gets done. So I think that I think the auto I think the auto issue is going to be really telling um, as far as not only on Biden's approach, but Biden's approach in government, Biden's approach, the administration's approach uh, with industry. Um, I think that he can put. The Republicans in the Senate and the House, um, I can, they can, he can back them in a quarter um, in a way that that the decision points are clear to voters. I mean, either you're in favor of working government industry to deal with environmental issues, or you're an obstructionist. And what we've already heard in Congress, I mean, the 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 congressional Republican caucus on the House has has already declared that they're going to be. In fact, one, one member of Congress said, we're going to put the screws to the Biden administration over the next two years because we have a shot at becoming the majority uh, in the House again. And, you know, the Senate's doing the same thing. And at some point, these parties have to stop focusing on screwing the other guy um, and doing something constructive for the nation. And I think that a few examples of that um, will in fact help to reduce the divisiveness that, that's still in the country. I mean, one of the things that 
the the numbers in this election are very um, misleading in a sense because you know in in 2016 there were three states and 77,000 votes um, that was the difference between Clinton becoming president and Trump being president. Okay, mm -hmm. um, this year I mean yes Biden has won by you know six or seven million votes but there are four states Arizona um, Georgia. Arizona, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and I guess that's Georgia. Um, yeah. That that it's 111,000 total votes uh, out of 100 and, what 57 million votes. Right. And right. so these, I mean, he has he Biden doesn't have a mandate. Uh, they may act for a while as if they have a mandate, but they don't have a mandate, and it's I think that's going to be clear to everybody. Um, and so what's, what Biden has to do is to earn his way into um, the mandate. And I think that I think he can do that. Um, it also depends on how calm the progressives um, end up being, and, as well as the moderates. I mean, there's a lot of tension going on. You've got, you've got these two pockets where one group of members of Congress, you know, of the House, won in red districts, not only in 2018, but they won in 2020 as well, although just barely, but they also lost votes. I mean, the, the Democratic Party itself lost um, up to a dozen seats. Um, and then you've got the moderates saying, you know, you cannot be progressive because we're going to lose our district. I mean, these guys are, they're, they're purplish. They're not even purple, they're purplish. Um, <laughs> the progressives are saying, you know, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have had all this, you know, activity, the youth vote and what have you. Well, you know, it's a case of they're both right and they're both wrong. Um, and so we'll see what happens. We'll see if if the the arguments that started in 2018 that had been put to the side um, while the work was being put into electing Biden, in this case, any, I mean, it's Biden, but it, it, the same would have been true of whoever the Democratic nominee was, whether those 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 arguments that have been put to the side are going to reemerge, and my feeling on this is, if they reemerge, it's. I guess the best way I can describe it is that if something bothers me um, with 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 my girlfriend, um, and I keep my mouth shut for two years, I can pretty well guarantee you that when I finally open my mouth, it is not <laughs> going to be nearly as calm and collected as right. it might have been. Okay, Apple. and so this is the way. I, I mean. You know, anybody that's been in a kind of partnership knows that this happens. And I think that it's no different for politicians in this mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, I think just to put a fine point on it, this this fuffery from GM is just that. In fact, you know, what they're doing means, you know, this letter means nothing by saying they're going to pull out of something that is basically already you know, water under the bridge, because we know that Biden's not going to continue with it. So it's like, this is just a stunt well, in fact, yeah, to, yeah, for, I, for some, you know, whatever public reason. Right. I, I mean, it, it is. And, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad reason. But and, you know, do I think it is much of a sacrifice? No, but I haven't heard anything from Toyota, Toyota yet or, yeah. or Fiat Chrysler um, saying, well, you know, we're, we're in it with you. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that this can be, I, I think this hopefully can begin the process because General Motors was the biggest company of the group that, right. that you know, were sticking with, with Trump. And I think that, you know, I think that the more publicity 
electric vehicles and get both, I mean, both from an environmental and an employment standpoint, mm -hmm. um, the more readily uh, consumers are going to accept these changes. And I think, that, I mean, that's something that we're a long way from. And uh, I also think that if this happens, then one of the areas that Republicans and Democrats can probably agree on um, over the next two years is infrastructure. Um, and part of an infrastructure bill really has to be about putting in place the infrastructure for electric vehicles, I mean, charging stations um, and what have you, so that that the better and the, and the more publicity, good publicity that can be had, the better off I think everybody is. And, and electric vehicles now are just, they're the hottest sector in the stock market, if you want to know the truth. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, people are spending, are paying outlandish amounts of sums for stocks of companies that have never produced a damn thing. Um, they just got themselves listed on the, on, on the stock exchanges. But it also tells you that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of new innovation, there's products um, that go into the kind of conversion of the, of the at least the, the, the personal auto um, trade sector um, industry into, you know, something that's significantly more sustainable. Mm -hmm. At some point, I think what's going to happen is for larger, for trucks, for example, um, that uh, hydrogen is, gonna, is probably going to be the, the, the preferred um, fuel. But I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm... It appears as if that's what industry is looking at, whereas um, light trucks and, and cars um, are going to go very electric. And I think the other thing that we have to think about in this, in this, in this situation is that, you know, the pandemic has had, it certainly has changed a lot in our, in our daily lives. And one of the things that it's changed is the willingness of people to get on public transportation. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that that's going to change quickly back anytime soon. And so um, the more efficient personal vehicles can become, um, especially for these short hauls, I and mean, relatively short hauls from, from you know, the, the, not the furthest suburbs, but suburbs, you know, into the cities, um, the faster that the, that fleet gets turned into electrics, the better off we're going to be. Mm -hmm. Well, your, your point about the, you know, the infrastructure, I think, is a great example of where uh, we can get people to come together that are on different sides. And I mean, they, they will have to in order. That's the only way infrastructure is going to come together and work. So I, I think that's a good point. But, well, you know, there's, there's right. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, and I mean, I think that it, with infrastructure, which is, I think is what you're saying is that you don't want branded infrastructure. I mean, you no. don't, you I mean, you, you don't want a, a Navy charging station only works for Volkswagen. Yep. And then another, you know, and down the line. And I think this is where government steps in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's important that we um, we look elsewhere at the in near future, um, just to take a quick look at, you know, Biden certainly has a wide range of policies that he's going to be, climate policies that he's going to address swiftly when he takes office, um, when, with a capital W. and um, Another important thing that's on people's minds in, in that suite is the Paris Agreement, which is something you've been looking at, Joel. And it's my understanding that to enter the Paris Agreement, the U.S. would have to develop a new climate pay pledge or, you know, nationally determined contribution. And uh, this time around, the U.S. NDC would be a much more ambitious plan than what came out in 2015 
um, likely targeting zero net emissions by 2050. But, um, you know, what I understand is that we still have some challenges, even though we can just turn around and re-enter the, um, the agreement. It's just it's essentially not going to be that easy. Well, that's right. I mean, it's, it's the timing of that is kind of unfortunate. I mean, it was a, the day after the election here um, was the, the end of the, the period where um, the United States couldn't get out of the Paris Agreement. Right. Um, and, and so it became legit as far as getting out was concerned, I guess, on, on November 4th, um, whatever it was. So there, there is there is a, 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 a process that you have to get back in it again. A couple things I think are going to happen. One is that the, 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 the argument about whether or not the Paris Agreement is actually a treat um, mm-hmm. is going to come back on the, you know, on the front burner, uh, brought there you know, by, uh, with the help of uh, Senate Majority Leader um, McConnell and, and mm-hmm. others. Republicans. Um, it's an arguable point. Um, it's one that, that Obama never really answered, um, and it was never actually really answered um, otherwise by Congress because Trump came in. And so um, they knew what he was going to do. And, you know, but I think this is going to rekindle that that argument. Um, mm-hmm. I think, too, that whether or not, I mean, the United States might make a, a, a great, you know, a, a more rigorous pledge. Um, although, you know, there's no enforcement on, on Paris and that's it's always been a problem. With it. Um, but but he could do that as a well, it certainly is an important you know, message of the of the commitment of the nation. But I think the other thing that's going to have to happen is that the, the, the international community is going to have to have confidence that if the United States does this again, it, it means something. I mean, yeah. the, the, they won't weasel a lot of it, um, you know, in four years should mm-hmm. the Republicans come in. And that, I mean, it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate worry. Yeah. I think yeah. the other worry on this is that, you know, that Trump, legitimated um, other right-wing progressive uh, leaders to say, well, maybe we don't want to deal with um, the Paris Agreement either. And Bolsonaro, for example, in Brazil, um, comes just raging to mind. And then there, you know, there, there are um, the, the countries that used to be part of the Soviet bloc, um, like Poland, that, that coal's a big deal with them still. And so, um, you know, if the United States was willing to kind of weasel out, then there's always a worry that other countries would as well. And I think that they have to they have to work on those two issues first. And I think the appointment, I think it's one of the reasons that, that Biden is appointing Kerry um, as a special climate commissioner is because I mean, he, he helped negotiate um, the Paris Agreement. Uh, he's well He's well received in in, um, uh, in in foreign nations, and so I think that that's going to help. That's going to help a lot. I think the other thing that, that needs to be done is the signatories need to sit down and actually talk about what's realistically needed. I mean, the the it was rushed at the end of the Obama administration because people because nations were scared that if they didn't get enough signa- signatures, that it wouldn't go into force. At all, because they once once Trump got into office, the United States was gone. I mean, they, they really rushed Obama's signature on it. But the other thing that happened is that they 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 made that decision really based on what they thought they could get away with politically, not just in the United States, but mm-hmm. but around the world. Um, and everybody knew once those commitments were made that it wasn't going to be enough to stay at the 1.5 uh, 
um, degree right. Celsius uh, threshold. So, mm-hmm. so they kind of say, well, it'll be 2.0. And that may be, but at some point, nations really do have to sit down and talk realistically, not only about what needs to be done, but what it is that they, they can and will do in a way that is more than just surface. Um, and so, I, but again, I think that I think that Biden and Kerry are going to be in a good position to to help answer the first two questions um, and position the, the the nations for a much larger um, discussion. And I mean, China has already indicated um, there, there are different degrees. I'll grant you, but I mean, China is going to be a huge electric vehicle market. They are mm-hmm. a, a huge electric vehicle market. Um, Russia. It's going to be interesting to say if Putin stays in power, presumably he's quite ill. Um, but but there, I've said there, the United States can lead by example, and if it can get back into harness with the other developed nations of the world, especially in in Europe and Australia, um, the Southeast Asia, then the world really has a shot at doing what is necessary to do to be able to get to 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 not suffer the worst consequences that are possible from the Earth's uh, warming. Mm-hmm. And essentially, we can you know join, rejoin, and make our pledge as the NDC. But eventually, we have to codify that. And it seems like that would not be an easy path. And how do we demonstrate to the world that we're capable? You, you, you do it by doing it. I mean, right. the, the, I mean, it, it's it's a moral target. I mean, again, there, I mean, there's no enforcement. I mean, they can't they, they can't you know smack your wrists if right. you didn't if you didn't live up to it. But the fact mm-hmm. is that I mean, um, hypocrite is not something I think that most nations would like to be called. Um, right. And I mean, if everybody moves, I mean, again, the electric vehicles is great is a great it's a great example. I mean, this is something that other nations seem willing to do and. Well, it'll get done, um, mm-hmm. and you know, then you can use the power of the United States to, to push it, you know, to push that envelope more and more. And I think that this is this is something that the world needs to see. The developed nations actually not just talk the talk, but actually walk the walk, um, mm-hmm. and and in a way that isn't going to change. At will, which is which is what this ends up being. You know, I mean, new government comes in, so I don't feel like doing it, so I won't. Um, well, you know that that you do that a couple of times, and then nobody believes anybody anymore, and and they give lip service to it, and then they go off and do what they're going to do anyway, which is which is a real problem. I mean, this yeah. is this is something that is always a problem. I mean, you know, farmers in the grains movement used to say, "Yeah, well, okay, we'll limit our supply so the price goes up." And then everybody went home and said, "Well, if I just grow a little bit more, you know, who's who's to know?" And I, mm-hmm. you know, I could use the extra cash. Well, you multiply that by the entire agriculture sector, and what happened is that the prices went down instead of up. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same case in this. I mean, this is something where you have to have confidence in your partner, and if you don't, then what you're going to do is you're going to protect your own backside. Um, no matter what anybody has to say, and and you know the proof is in the doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, what's up next? What are we thinking about next? What's Joel thinking about next well, after this? I'm, uh, you know, I'm following this great theater of politics these days. I, you know, yeah. I'm um, I'm going to be doing a whole series of articles on you know what does the election mean, um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, as spectator sport. This is a great time as far as I'm concerned. And right, you know, right. from my writing perspective, I always have something to write about. 
But mm -hmm. I'm going to be focusing on the Georgia runoff elections. Um, this, uh, the, the, if the Democrats can take both of those spots and they can control the Senate because the vice president will be able to break all ties, tie votes. If they lose one of them, then what's going to happen is that we're going to be facing um, a Republican Senate that is going to be difficult um, to deal with for Biden, in, in, including um, who he's able to get approved uh, with the advice and consent of the Senate for his administration. Um, there are a lot of other things also riding on the, on the, uh, on the Georgia vote. Um, there's a lot of maneuvering going on and some regulatory um, tricks that uh, I'm going to be talking about that hopefully the Democrats will be able to use for their side and not have the Republicans use um, for more of uh, obstruction. Um, but I, my guess is that over these next, uh, at least at least until the inauguration, um, that I'll be focusing entirely on um, on politics. Although I may actually end up doing um, an article on the electric vehicle sector in terms of what the stock markets um, are doing with and for them. Um, it'll be interesting to see too whether or not Trump actually shows up at his at the inauguration. He's, mm -hmm. The the rumor in Washington now is that. Um, he is going to do his own uh, press um, announcement of his run for 2024 um, mm -hmm. as Biden is being sworn into office. Um, okay. You know, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Like I said, the theater is great. I mean, it's, it's, it's Kabuki 2.0. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I certainly look forward to the uh, the EV and stock market story. That should be very interesting. Uh, but I do want to thank our listeners, of course, for joining us for this episode. And if anyone has a question about any of the topics we cover on ZeroNet50, you can connect with Joel through his blog uh, at civilnotion.com. And thanks again for joining us. And thank you, Joel. Thank you, Jennifer. Have a good day.